0: And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Miller. Everyone, I'm Brad and My name's Jenny Wilson. This is Stacy Heather Tolkien. Hi, my name is Angela Lee Sloan, also known as the voice of Lucy. The voice of Charlie Brown. The voice of Sally Brown. It's Peppermint Patty. The voice of Linus on Peanuts. Derek Mackey with Cool Water Productions, LLC, and Sam Mason are bringing you the first virtual live autograph signing event ever. This is your chance to add our autographs to your collection. We have pictures, Funko Pops, Super Seven Figures, private one-on-one video chats, and a group panel. You can find all the information on any of our social media pages just by searching at Peanuts Reunion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can actually also order tickets to our October 10th two-part event on inhouse-con.com. The first part of the event will be the one-on-one video chats and Peanuts panel hosted by Derek Mackey from 12 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Then you can go over to our Facebook page and watch us sign your items live hosted by Sam Mason. We also have a uh, a mail-in service where you can send in your items and have them signed by us or you can buy one or more of our items that we have for pre-sale. Starting now! The pre-sale items are limited in number, so get yours today. Brad Keston, voice of Charlie Brown. Sally Brown. This is Linus. So, join us October 10th. We can't wait to see you there. Thanks so much. I'd like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. Thanking you for being a Peanuts fan. I'd really like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. This is Peppermint Patty, and I would like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. See you on October 10th. Carry on my way you son There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry? Don't you cry? everybody, and welcome to Lupa's Bit. I am your host, Lupa, and I am otherwise affectionately known as Stephanie Barty. Um, Okay, so before I get started, I am going to put this warning out there right now. Uh, Tonight's episode, today's episode, whenever you happen to be listening to this episode, is going to be a little difficult to listen to. If you are triggered easily, if you have childhood or past past trauma that you do not want to deal with, that if you have emotions you do not want to deal with, I suggest you stop listening now. Um, Don't come at me at the end of the podcast and say you didn't know, because I'm letting you know now. We are going to be dealing with some pretty heavy topics. Um, As a childhood survivor of um, several bouts of being molested and raped. I feel it's a topic I need to discuss tonight, um, especially after a movie that I watched. So if that triggers you, if you have a problem with that, then I suggest you turn back now and run for the hills. Okay, so. Warnings out of the way. We can carry on. Um, I had a few things that I was going to podcast about this week. And some stich, bleh, situations would happen. Um, stuff would come up like, oh, I am so going to podcast about that this week. And yeah, none of that's happening. I'd actually started this podcast a few times, um, twice in anger, which is never a good idea. Don't ever podcast when you're mad. And I didn't follow through with them. I didn't continue with them because I was angry and I needed to stop and I needed to reevaluate and think about what was causing me to feel the way that I was feeling and pretty much put my big girl panties on and get over it. So that's what I did and then deleted both of those. (laughs) Um, And then I had a couple of other things, you know, funny. Oh, I have to talk about that. That's funny. And completely forgot to write those down and anybody who knows me knows if i don't say it out loud right away oh excuse me i just inhaled a tangerine before we started um if i don't write it down or repeat it back to whoever right away it's gone it's I, my brain these days is like an etch a sketch you draw i have this fabulous idea and i create this fabulous picture And unless somebody takes a picture of it, or I write it down, or make a copy, I nod my head, and it's gone. (laughs) Like an a sketch. Shake it, it's gone. So, um, I sat and watched a couple of movies tonight with, um, with Crystal. And she's going to be on the podcast one day, I swear to you she is. And there will be a warning on that one, too. Um... And the first one we watched was, eh, you know, I'd seen it before. But it had a pretty boy in it that we both liked from a TV series that we watched. So she hadn't seen it, so we watched it. And then we watched the second one on Netflix. And it's called, I think it was called The Devil All the Time. I can't even begin to describe the pardon my language shit show that is this movie now it had an all-star cast okay all-star cast and Jake Gyllenhaal produced the thing so you would think going into this movie with, like, Robert Pattinson, okay, I know, Glittery Vampire, whatever, and, um, uh, Bill Skarsgård, and the girl who played Alice in Alice in Wonderland, she was in it, um, oh, there was a couple of other big names in it, too, you would think it would be a really good movie, you know, not so much. No, no. It was a train wreck right from the very beginning. And we were kind of committed to watch it because it's like, okay, now we need to know what's going to happen to all the crazy people because there are a lot of crazy people running around and we needed to know how each storyline was connected. So we're watching this movie and it came to the part where Robert Pattinson's character shows up, and he is a preacher at what appears to be a Southern Baptist church. Um, Very fire and brimstone, you know, everybody's praying for everything. You sneeze, they pray. Um, And turns out he... He's a nasty, nasty man. Nasty man. You see what you assume is his wife for about a minute and a half. She kind of looks like the Stepford wife. Wife. She's sitting at the table at the church at the luncheon to welcome him to the church. And she's just sitting there with this ridiculous grin on her face. And she's not eating. She's not moving. I swear she's, you know, you peel back her face and it's going to be wires and animatronics. And that's the last time you see her. Until later in the movie, um, when she's performing a duty, a service, whatever, on him. And keeping in mind, he is a throw-the-Bible-at-you kind of preacher, okay? There is a young girl just starting high school, and um, she is the sister of the main character. And he weaves his spiritual web pretty much and lures her in and takes advantage of her. Jen's up pregnant and he pretty much tells her, well, I can't be a daddy cause we were just spending time with God. Yeah. We had to rewind that part. So it was just so we could hear that line again. Um, and he told her basically to get rid of it or she would be a single mom and bring shame and, you know, whatever down on her family. That's when I kind of emotionally detached myself from the movie. Um, I have a very hard time with situations like that in movies. Most of the time, I can kind of watch it with a detached spectator kind of view and then put myself back in the movie once that's passed. Tonight, it's been bothering me a lot lately, and I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I was molested for the first time when I was three. And... I remember it. I remember every detail. I can tell you the color of the carpet in the bathroom. Um, It was brown shag, by the way. I can tell you what the belt buckle looked like. I can tell you what the sound of his voice looked like. I can tell you what he smelled like. I can tell you what the blankets felt like. I can tell you every single detail in vivid detail. So, when I see something in a movie that pertains to that, it kind of takes me there. And, like I said, for the most part, I can watch with a detached, spectator kind of um, viewpoint. But that's getting harder and harder to do lately. And I know the worst thing to do is to just ignore it and to just pretend it didn't happen. For the most part, that's how I deal. I did get counseling for it. I did see a a psychiatrist for it and um, I did take him to court when my oldest was two and I was pregnant with my second child and um, he was found guilty the first time and then that verdict was overturned on a mistake that the judge made. He didn't explain why he thought he was guilty So, it was acquitted, and we had to go back to court, and the second time, he was found not guilty on lack of evidence. Terribly sorry I didn't think to whip out my non-existent cell phone when I was four years old and record what he was doing. But it was closure for me. It was closure for me, because yes, A, he did spend time in jail. And we all know what happens to a pedophile in jail. (laughs) That really does warm my heart. Honestly, it really does. Um, And B, I got to look him in the eye and make him aware that he no longer had control over me. I was no longer that scared little girl. Whatever memory he held in his head of me and of that time and of the things that he did to me, I, I jaded it somehow. I colored it somehow. I changed it somehow. Because now he had to look at grown-up me. I was no longer that little girl fantasy in his head. He had to look at grown-up me. And he had to look me in the eye. Which he had a very hard time doing. It was lovely. I enjoyed that too. So it was a closure of sorts. But even with that closure... um, the memories don't fade. The memories don't go away. The emotions that you feel, the trauma that you have to deal with, doesn't go away. I don't care what they tell you, it doesn't go away. And that is why I felt talking about it tonight, while it's still very raw with me right now, was a good idea. Because I know, phew, my God, anybody in our age group. I'm 48 and anybody in our age group, you can throw, get a group of a hundred of us together and just spray water. And I bet you every single one that those person, that those drops hit is a survivor of some sort of sexual abuse from childhood. It seemed to be the thing to do when we were kids. I don't know what was wrong with the adults, when we were kids, but that seemed to be the thing to do. Molest the little people. I don't know. Messed up generation. We had a lot of really good things in the 80s, we had a lot of really crappy things in the 80s, and that was one of them. So. I felt that I needed to talk about it because I know that there are some people out there that listen to my podcast because I say the hard things. I talk about the hard things that some people can't talk about. And I go through the hard emotions. Um, so by doing that, um it makes it easier for me to talk about for to others because I I feel like I'm my story is helping somebody else. My trauma and the stuff that I've gone through and can say, Hey look, I'm still here. I'm still for the most part kinda sane. I can still function as a normal adult in society and not run stark raving mad down the street. If my story can help somebody else, that's why I do it. And I know um, that talking about the hard things helps at least one person because they've told me it does. That they don't have the ability or the courage to talk about the hard things and the trauma that they've been through, but listening to me helps them know they're not alone. That there is somebody out there that will listen when the time comes. And I will, I will sit and listen to you. If that's what you need, I will sit and listen to you. Now, as I was saying, the trauma and, and the, um, emotion that you feel doesn't go away. You can talk to a psychiatrist for years. And I kind of have for off and on, I would say for 44 years. Well, no, not for 44 years. That would be a lie. Um, Maury Povich says that is a lie. <laughs> um, well, I would say probably... Uh, 28 years off and on 28 years. I've talked to somebody about this and I mean, I have numerous other, um, traumas and experiences that happened, um, throughout my life, mostly in my early teens. Um, but the original molestation started when I was three and went until I was five, six. And then I got a couple of years reprieve um, because we moved away from him. Uh, And then it started with a family member. Oh, yay. When I was 10, nine, 10, 10. And that went on. I was 16. Um and then I was And I know it sounds like I'm talking about this very matter-of-factly and I know it sounds like I'm kind of just listing these things off like a laundry list or a grocery list or something. But when you spent 20 some odd years discussing and analyzing and regurgitating every single detail you get to a point where, yeah, you can recite it like a grocery list. Um, I was raped a couple of times, so there has been a lot of um, trauma surrounding that. I, <laughs> I know you can hear it in my voice. I know you can hear it in how I'm choosing my words. I. I'm not going to lie. I have a hard time talking about it. I have a hard time matter-of-factly saying what happened. Um, I still get very uncomfortable. And like I said, it's been 24 years of talking about it. 24 years of living, of of consciously living with it. Um, and it all kind of came to a head... When my daughter was two, that was the first time that everything broke me and I'll admit it broke me and, um, I ran. Remember I told you, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, how, um, I'm really good at running and I run. And I remember I had said, there are just some things that you can't run from because they go with you. Well, this was one of them. I, I kept having nightmares about her going through the same trauma that I did and her having to experience the, the reoccurring nightmare that I would have. She was a baby and she's lying in the middle of a circle of grown men. And they're all trying to grab at her. They're all trying to get at her. And I can't get to her. I can't break through this circle of men to save her. There was nothing I could do to save her. And that nightmare I would have at least four times a week. And I would wake up screaming and have to go and get her. Like, she slept in the bassinet in my room, um, eventually. (laughs) Because she slept with me um, until she was probably three or four months old and moving around. And then she went into the bassinet and she was in the room, like beside the bed. She was in the room, I think, until she was about one when um, I was finally convinced to let her go into her own room. And I kind of... When she hit two, and, I mean, she's this cute little brown-haired, blonde, fair-skinned, tiny, petite little thing, and she was coming up to the age where my abuse started. Um, I broke. I broke and I ran, because I couldn't... If I ran away from the situation, I wouldn't have to see it happen. And I was fully convinced It was going to happen. And I couldn't protect her. I couldn't protect her. My mom couldn't protect me. We lived in the same house. She couldn't protect me. So where did I think I could protect my child? I couldn't. So I ran. Um, The second time it broke me was... About 10 years ago. And I just, I shut down completely. I shut everything off. I shut my emotions off. I shut everything down. Everything. I didn't care about anything. I didn't feel anything. Because I didn't want to. Like, you can't, you can't ignore it. You can't. You can try. You can't it finds ways of creeping in like watching a movie. Now there's a movie um, called Eye for an Eye with Sally Field and Kiefer Sutherland. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, don't listen, plug your ears. I'll wave at you when it's time to unplug your ears. <laughs> it's a podcast. I know you can't see me anyway. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is raping Sally Field's daughter and Sally Field is on the phone stuck in traffic having to listen to her daughter screaming for her and the first time I watched that I watched it eh okay whatever it's a movie no big deal every other woman in the room was having a hard time and I'm sitting there going where's Popcorn the second time I watched it was 10 years ago, and uh, I was with a group of women, and somebody said, oh, we've got to watch this movie. It's really good. We were doing like a Sally Field night. We'd watch Steel Magnolias, and um, we had watched Smoking the Bandit, and we came across Eye for an Eye, and I thought, okay, I've seen it. I know what it's about. I know what's coming up. Um, let's watch it. And the minute she opens the door and he's standing there, I started to shake. and um, I broke out into a cold sweat, my heart started racing, and I was taken right back to that bathroom with that brown shag carpet. and I had to get up and I had to leave. I had to go home. I had to just get out of there i couldn't I could not stay and watch that movie. and I got home. And I couldn't be there. I just, I needed to, I just, I drove. I think I spent about four hours just driving the back roads because I just needed to be enclosed somewhere where nobody else was. So I was in my van. Um, Right now it almost feels like another break is building which is why I'm talking about it because I can't afford to break again I can't I've got too much going on right now I've got too much already weighing on me Um, (laughs) and I have too many people waiting for me to break so I'm not going to let this break me again which is why I'm talking about it now Um, getting it out there And I'm hoping that by talking about it, there is somebody out there that may have gone through a similar experience and has stayed silent. Like I was told, I was three when it started. So when you're three and you're told, you know, I'll kill your mommy if you tell. Okay, it's my mommy. At that time, that's all I had was my mom. It was just me and my mom. Um, And then as I got older the threats became more personal. You know, I'll hurt you because I knew he wasn't going to kill my mom. Um, But if you've kept silent, you need to talk to somebody. And there are are 1-800 numbers out there that you can call and you can be completely anonymous. And just sometimes just letting it just kind of fall out of your face, basically, (laughs) fall out of your mouth, and dropping it in somebody else's lap, taking it off your shoulders, off your burden, and dropping it into somebody else's lap, and saying, okay, can you carry that for a little bit? Just give me a break, and you carry that for a minute. I need to take a deep breath. Helps. Um, I'm lucky I have people in my life that I can go, hey, (laughs) I need to kind of just dump this on you and they'll sit there and they'll listen and they won't judge and they won't question. They won't ask for details. They won't ask for anything that I'm not willing to give. And I can't even begin to explain how much that helps, how much it quiets those voices in your head and it quiets those Bubbles of panic and those bubbles of fear that you get, um, when you catch a passing scent and it takes you right back there. And it helps. It does. It helps. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not the type of person, I don't think that. Talking to a psychiatrist is ever, ever, ever going to make it okay. It's never going to make it okay. And it shouldn't make it okay because it's not okay. It's not okay. And I. There are, are, are. I think it just dawned on me why this has probably been weighing on me so heavily lately. Um, it's happening in the States and it's happening here in Canada. There are provinces in our own country that are trying to make pedophilia a, um, sexual orientation, not a deviance. I'm sorry. Say what? Do what now? Because they have pedophiles that are claiming that they identify as eight year old girls. Okay, that's fine. If you want to identify as a rock, I don't care. I don't I don't care. You can identify whatever you want to identify as. It doesn't make you a rock. It doesn't make you an eight-year-old girl. You are still a grown-ass man. So because you identify, and I know I'm going to have people coming at me, I don't care. But because you identify as an eight year old girl, that gives you the right to play with eight year old girls? No, I don't think so. Not any eight year old girls that I know. It does not. Pedophilia is wrong, it is a deviance, it is a crime. And in my opinion, y'all should be castrated. Yep, I said it. Yep. And I stand by it. I stand by it. And then put in a room with victims. Well, I'm not going to say victims because we don't like being called victims. We're survivors. We survived. (laughs) We're still surviving. We're struggling, but we're still surviving. Um... Yeah, no. No. No, it's wrong. It's wrong. It is not a sexual orientation. Gay or straight, okay, fine. I don't care. Not my place to tell you who you love. Unless it's a child. And then it's wrong. So. And I think that Listening to that in the news, and knowing that it is seriously being considered just for one boggles my mind I don't understand i don't I don't understand because you know the ones that are trying to change the law are the ones that want to play with the eight year old girls. only a pedophile would want to change. The definition of a pedophile. And make it okay. Those are the only ones that want to do it. I can guarantee you. Nobody in their right mind is going to say, Here's my eight-year-old daughter. Go ahead. It's a sexual orientation. It's a choice. Nuh-uh. mm You want to hand your eight-year-old daughter over to one of them? Go right ahead. Bet you you change your mind on whether or not you think it is a deviance and not an orientation. Bet you, you, change your mind real quick. Oh, and what if they identify with a four-year-old? Or, there's some out there that like them even younger, under a year. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to let them, if you're going to say eight is okay, well, you know they're going to push for younger. Where's your cutoff? Where do you draw the line? We've already drawn the line. The line is there. 16 and under, jailbait. Even 16's young. I know, when I was 16, I didn't think so, but you know what? I'm not 16 anymore. You have to be 18 years old to vote. You need to be at least 16 years old to decide whether or not you can have somebody else touch you not eight. No, no, just no. Okay. That's my rant for that. But I think that's where all of this emotional baggage, (laughs) um, has come from out of storage. And I wasn't going to talk about it. I was kind of just dealing with it on my own. Um, much to the chagrin of two of my closest friends because I wouldn't talk about it and I just keep telling them, I'm fine, I'm fine. And one is actually easier to say that to than the other because one is a long way away and I can say it in typing and the other one I live with. So she actually has to look me in the eyeballs. When I tell her I'm fine, she goes, "Eh uh-huh. And she knows I'm not. But she lets it be because she knows when I'm ready, I will come to her. And he knows when I'm ready, I will come to him and I will tell him. Um, and maybe this is my way of telling both of them because I know they both listen. So I I'm struggling with this right now. Um, I'm not sleeping. Or very little. I I catnap. Um, the nightmares have come back. And yeah. I I try to avoid. I I I will say one thing. I am loving face masks right now because I can pop a Wintergreen mint Lifesaver in my mouth and that is all I smell. I went out um about 3 days ago three or four days ago, I went out and, um, I had pulled my mask down. Like it had come down a little bit below my nose. So I was getting fresh air in and not the recirculated air in my mask. And somebody went by me. It was, I don't even know if it was a young guy or an old guy. I wasn't even looking. All I could smell was Old Spice. And it took me right back, right back. Just boom. I was there. And I, we were in the dollar store and I just turned to Crystal and said, okay, I'm done. I'm over it. Let's go. I mean, let's get out of here. I'm done. And she just kind of looked at me and she's like, you're done? I'm like, I'm done. And up to that point, I was having a grand old time. I mean, I was putting stuff in a cart. I was getting stuff for baskets. I was getting stuff for me. She was slapping my hand, telling me I didn't really need that kind of stuff. And It was fun. And then... I get a whiff of Old Spice and that's it. I just, I want to go home. I want to go into my trailer. I want to close the door. I want to put something really heavy against the door. I want to curl up in my bed and pull the blankets over my head and just turn everything off and not talk to anybody and shut down. That was my first reaction. That was my instinct to do, to protect myself. And, um, I almost did. I almost did. Luckily, I have really good friends. (laughs) They won't let me do that. Uh, Yeah, so it's a lot more um, raw right now. And I think it will continue to be so until this legislation is decided. Um, I'm just waiting for somebody to say, this is ridiculous. We're not even debating this. It's, It's done. It's out. Just get it. I just... I I, mm, I, can't I can't I can't I just I can't I don't know how I am going to handle it if it is passed um I don't I really don't know how it's I'm going to handle it because if this legislation is passed and it is accepted then that makes what happened to me okay That makes what happened to any child that has gone through that trauma okay. How do you justify that in your mind? You've dealt with this your entire life. You have tried to overcome this. You have tried to face it and deal with it and get past it. To be told, oh, well, guess what? It's okay now. It's allowed. Anybody bothered to ask the child? How they feel when this happens? How about the adults that have had to live with it? Oh, wait, you know what? Why don't we talk to the ones that are drug addicts or alcoholics? Because that's the only way they can drown it out. Or the ones that are so medicated on prescription medication. Because, you know, our brain's short circuit. And we end up, you know, we bipolar, manic depressive suicidal. Pick one. We have a Rolodex of issues. (laughs) Spin the wheel, pull a card, pick one. Um, How about asking somebody like that? How they felt? Was it okay? Did the person doing that to them identify as a child? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know, I keep ranting about this, and I can't help it, and I'm trying not to, but it's a serious issue, because if you are a survivor, if you are somebody who has been through this, regardless of what age it was, it doesn't matter what age you were. If you were a child at any point in time and had to endure any sort of sexual abuse at the hands of somebody else. It's not okay. It will never be okay. And it affects everything you do. It affects every aspect of your life. Now, a lot of women that are um, survivors one of two ways. They either shut down completely and sex is is something that they just, nope, not happening. It's a chore like dishes. I will do it to procreate, but don't touch me. Do it, get it over with, move on. And some turn into, you know, that's all they do it's something in our brains that tells us that that is the only way we will get love is through that is through sex. That is how you're loved because that is what we were taught. That is what was imprinted on our little brains as children. That sex is love. If you're good at it, if you say yes and you don't argue, and you do as you're told, then they'll love you. Well, guess what? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But we keep trying. Time and time again, we keep trying. Time and time again, you find out that's not how it works. And then you end up with a bad reputation. But all the people see is the reputation. They don't see what caused it. They don't see the factors behind it and a lot of guys and yeah, guys can be sexually molested too. I know many um, and it's just as traumatic and it affects them in a lot of the same ways that it does women. They go one way or the other and uh, they actually, there's there's three different roads that a sexually abused man will take And he will either shut down completely and, you know, it's whatever. Or, you know, he's a playa and he pretty much is humping anything that moves. Or they go (sighs) into the, the darker, wilder, um, more painful side of sexual experience. And they are driven by, um, adrenaline. They have, men have a far higher guilt factor than women. We, oh, trust me, trust me. We are the queens of feeling guilty when it comes to that, um, But guys have a, I I wouldn't say a higher, I would say a different type of guilt, especially if they were young boys and haven't, you can't control how your body reacts. So a lot of them get hit with that guilt as well. And just because your body reacts in a certain way, doesn't make it any less wrong doesn't make it any less traumatic, any less painful. So, I had a bunch of poems that I was going to read because I wasn't sure how much I was going to be able to talk about this, but uh, seems I've already done 42 minutes, so I'm going to read a couple of these poems to you, and these were kind of written um, at moments when... Like I said, it colors every part of your life. Everything you do is tainted, I guess, by this. Trust is a very hard thing to do. Um, letting go completely. like we we always seem, at least for me anyway, Control is a very big thing. I need to have control of things because your control and your choice is taken away from you. So, all right, this is the caption that comes with this one. Before this came into being, I was feeling angry, frustrated, wanted to shout from the rooftops and shake every whiny, woe is me woman that I could find. This is the first time a poetic inspiration has come with such a strong emotion Now that it is out, I feel calm and more myself. This is what came of that. I am strong. I cannot be torn apart, beaten down, shattered by your words. I will not lose my footing. My knees will not touch the earth. I am strong and I will not go down. I choose. I see your words, your anger out there, where it belongs. It does not touch me. It is my choice what I allow in, what I allow to affect me. I choose how I will react. Being woman does not mean you can tear me down. It does not mean I will get back up. It means I will stand tall and remain firm on my feet. Being woman, any piece that is ripped away, is a lesson learned. And I move on. I am strong. I am in control of my reactions, my emotions, and my environment. I am here, present in my body, safe in my spirituality, and what does not nourish that does not exist in my world. I do not lead, I will not follow. I will travel my road and welcome those kindred spirits along the way. I stand alone, but I'm not alone. For what I do not find in me, I will not find without me. Now, I'm pretty sure I've read this on another podcast, um, dealing with depression and things and finding your joy. But I wanted to read it again because I think it really fits with what I'm talking about. Now this one, this one's called sadness. And a lot of us that have experienced any kind of trauma in our childhood, um, even in our adulthood, when we are faced with a devastating trauma and sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, a traumatic loss can be a devastating trauma. We kind of become the caretakers of everybody else because it's a lot easier to deal with somebody else's feelings and emotions than it is to turn those caring eyes inwards and look at ourselves. So that's kind of where this one comes from. We, as caretakers, reach a point where we have nothing left that we can give to somebody else. So we become empty. All right. So this one's called Sadness. I have been the hand. Okay, let's try this again. I have been the shoulder, the hand to hold. I have been the smile and heartaches told. I've been the keeper of secrets, dear. Silent guardian of the broken tear. The target when the anger flows. Willingly accepting the verbal blows. I soaked it in and let it be knowing it was frustration that needed me. I've been turned away and pushed aside and been there waiting after the ride. I've said I'm sorry's and and forgive me's too, when I'm not sure what else to do. But hidden away in my secret place, a broken heart sits in its place, a little tattered and worn with time. It's all I have, and it's all mine. Sadness sits and waits for me, rolling his hands and grinning with glee. For every so often, when the night does call, sadness swoops in and the tears do fall. And the hand that I hold in the silence at home is mine and it wipes my tears all alone. The shoulder that bears the heartaches untold shake as the sadness begins to unfold. I weep and I keen and I feel lost inside. In the darkness and sadness, I've nowhere to hide. But in the rays of the sun, as it raises his head, I find comfort and solace and push back the dread. Just once in a while, when it all gets too much, I need the shoulder, the hand, a comforting touch. Someone to say, I'm here for you. I've got your back. But really, it's just a sadness attack. I'll get through it to another day and smile and be there when you say, hey. And give the shoulder and the hand to hold, and hold your secrets and heartaches untold. So that one, yeah, it kind of speaks for itself. This one. Survival. And I'm just going to read it and I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions. What do you do when you are suddenly so overwhelmed that you can't hold back the tears? Where do you turn when you have always been the one with smiles? Who's there to hold your hand? How do you pick up the pieces from something you didn't even know was broken? Where do you start moving on when you don't know where it finished? Where are the answers when the questions seem so distant? Answers never come easy, not when it counts. Hands are few and far between when it's pain that holds them. Sometimes the smiles crack. Waver and fall just a little. Life only throws at you what you can survive, or so they say. Cry when the crying is needed. Laugh, even when alone. Scream if it's building to burst, but live, live in all the colors of you. Don't shut your feelings away in a box to be opened some day. Ride every roller coaster, revel in every high, every low, and all the ground in between. To live is to survive. To survive is to live. So survive with every ounce of emotion, every tear, every step. Live your survival in blazing colors, in true, honest emotion. Cry when you need to. Laugh when you need to. And dance in the rain every chance you get. That one is one of my favorites. It's one that's still hits very deep and very dear to me because we operate on survival mode most of the time. And we find moments where we can just go (sighs) take that deep breath. Hold it in. But most of the time we're in survival mode. And we need to realize that That mode is not going to change. We need to learn to live in that mode. In all the colors of that mode. Because it's the only mode we know. You know, that's our groove. (laughs) That's our groove. So live in it. Love in it. Revel in it. We're quick on our feet. So, in saying that, I want to read this to you. It's called Stalemate. And I think we've all kind of been here at one point or another. I want to run barefoot through a field of green, head thrown back with the glee of a child. I want to dip my toes into the brook as it babbles its laughing song. I want To chain a wreath of daisies To crown my sun-kissed brow I want to spin, spin and spin and spin Watch the kaleidoscope of colors As they fly past my eyes, dancing with the clouds Grown woman says, hurry, no time for play Child within stamps her little foot and pouts Stalemate I want to work in my garden And wrap up in sheets off the line I want to create divinity for dinner With soup and a few lonesome potatoes I want to nurture my children, teach them lessons for life. I want to dance with my soulmate, dance and dance and dance, watching the reality of life as it flies past my eyes faster than light. Child within says, play, no time for work. Grown woman sets her hands on hips and glares. Stalemate. Spirit steps forth, taking both by the hand. She helps grown woman plant the daisies which grow into the crown for child within she skips with the child within as the sheets flap in the breeze of the field of green she teaches grown woman to create divinity in dinner together with small with child within to be grown woman you must have the carefree child within to be child within you must have the responsibility of grown woman to be both you must have spirit I think that's something that we forget sometimes, that we are not just moving along from task to task to task, that sometimes we have to stop and play, that we can kind of sidestep our responsibilities for a minute and get down on the floor. And if you've got kids, play with them, have a tea party, build a Lego castle, you don't have Lego, you don't have a tea set, find a box. Build a race car, build a castle, build whatever. Go for a walk, go to the park. Read a story. Make up a story. Watch a movie. Sometimes you have to step outside of being grown adult and become child within. But you can't stay there. You have to go back to being grown adult, and it's spirit that takes you from place to place. It's your spirit. And if there's one thing that I've learned in all of my years of struggling with the trauma, they may have broken me, they may have broken parts of me, but they didn't break my spirit. My spirit is still very much intact. It is still very much there. I still find Joy and I still find happiness and I still find love because my spirit is still there. It's still intact. And I don't think... Actually, I know that as long as I nurture my spirit and as long as I take care of it and as long as I face those moments when I'm having a hard time and I need to talk about it, And I need to get it out as long as I do that. And I don't let it break me for a third time. My spirit will be just fine. And I can bounce between child. And I can bounce to adult. And I'll be okay. I'm never going to be okay. In society's normal, what is okay, okay standards. But for me... For somebody who's been through what I've been through, for anybody who's gone through any kind of childhood trauma, to be able to get up in the morning and wash my face and brush my teeth and function and make a cup of coffee and get dressed and go out into the world. That's okay in my books. I'm okay. Okay. I may have my spontaneous moments where I suddenly burst into tears for no apparent reason. Or what appears to be no apparent reason. I have a reason. You don't need to know it. I'm okay. And you'll be okay too. We'll get through it. We'll take it with us. Pack it into that suitcase. You know, the one that we call emotional baggage. Zip it up. Put a lock on it and take it out when it's time. You don't have to. What I I guess what I'm trying to say and what I've I've come to realize is you don't have to live there. You take it with you. It's a part of who you are. It's it's a part of what made you who you are and why you you feel the way you do and why you react the way you do to certain things and your viewpoints um it it's it's help create you. <laughs> okay, I use help loosely. Um, we have a far broader scope of empathy. and we feel when we allow ourselves to, we feel very, very, very deeply. Because we cut ourselves off from feeling most of the time. So when we allow that to happen, it becomes a very strong, very solid, very almost visceral emotion. It can kind of be smothering at times. Sorry. <laughs> we can't help it. Um, and if you're... A partner of a survivor, and I know some of you that are listening, um, you are or have been. Um, If you're a partner of a survivor, and they're very clingy sometimes, they're very smothering sometimes. Instead of pushing them away and going, ah, get off me, you're choking me. Ask them why. Ask them if they're okay, and just know that it's it's just the passing thing. They just need that moment. Something's going on in their head, whether it's fear or insecurity or that overwhelming emotion because they've they've you know kind of cracked that door of you know I care about you and got hit with the tidal wave. Um. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. It'll be all right. We won't smother you in your sleep, we promise. Unless you snore. Then there will be some serious debate. (laughs) Anyway, just know that sometimes we don't need a heart to heart conversation, sometimes we don't need the detailed conversation. Sometimes we just need to know regardless of our flaws or because of our flaws, because of our our broken pieces we're still loved. Yeah so that is my um, traumatic life. welcome to, to my traumatic life. Let's unpack another suitcase next week. Anyway. Um, I hope that this podcast has helped you in some way. If you are in an abusive relationship, please reach out to somebody. Please call somebody. Um, Call a 1-800 number. That whole calling 911 and ordering a pizza thing is real. It's real. I kid you not. It is real. Do it. If you suspect a child is in an abusive situation, don't hesitate. Find out. Talk to the child. Because if we are given the chance in a safe environment, in a safe situation, we'll tell somebody. Oh, you betcha we'll tell somebody. Because we want out of it. So, there are numbers, look them up, um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's me, I hope that uh, I haven't traumatized you too much, I'm sorry I didn't have any funny stories this week, but I felt that, um, I needed to talk about this. I needed to share this with you because I know that there are people out there that have trauma that they can't talk about, that they can't deal with. And I want them to know they're not alone. Um, I do have one little piece of uh, bone picking to do before I sign off completely. And I've kind of saved this to the end because it's more tongue-in-cheek, and it's not as serious as the podcast was. So, I was listening to another podcast earlier in the week, and one of the hosts expressed some pretty strong emotion about brand ambassadors and influencers. I kind of felt a little called out on that. Um, I, I... I'm a brand ambassador for Divestum Watches. And I'm in their up-and-coming influencers program because I am apparently an up-and-coming influencer. And if I can make money off that gig, you betcha I'm gonna. If I'm gonna be, you know, TikTok famous, okie-dokie. Or the next Instagram star, alright. I'm cool with that. So I found a little called out there, dude. Um, you know... I guess those who influence can, and those who don't complain. I love you, Jason. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. You can find me on Facebook at Lupus Bits the Podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the same name. I'm on TikTok at Lady who. If you want to come check out my stuff. Um, don't forget, I have some stories I have a story in this month's World of Myth magazine, which came out on the 24th. And just so you know, it's not a one-off story. That is actually a continuation of um, a whole series. So if you haven't read it, I suggest you go back and you start at the Huntress and kind of read your way through. If you have been following along, yes, there is a new installment. I'm terribly sorry it took so long. Celeste and Merrick have minds of their own. Blame them. Anyway, so I have a a story up on The World of Myth. I'd really appreciate it if you guys would go over and read it and vote for it. Because, you know, you love me. Anyway, um, so you can catch that at www.theworldofmyth.com. And don't forget to listen to The World of Myth Bits on Monday. You might be surprised. And then, um, My Public Life is an American Nerd on Wednesday, and you can catch me every Friday on Lupus Bits. So, that is it. I think I've hit all my socials. Um, if you want to check out the magazine, it's on Facebook as well, at The World of Myth Magazine, and on Twitter, and... Yeah, I think that's it. Um, and then there's the World of Myth podcast. They're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and the same with my public life as an American nerd. So go and look us up, check us out. We are pretty decent podcast crew. Okay, so I will see you guys all. Well, I won't see you, but I will talk to you guys all next week. Have a good one. I see ya. Son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry? Don't you cry.